Will you turn with me here this morning to 2 Timothy and chapter 2? We're in part 3 of our series concerning Christ being our foundation. And we're going to go into this far, far more. But we're just laying a foundation, speaking about the foundation. Because there's nothing more important than this issue of having a good foundation, a solid foundation. Someone who is building a house who doesn't care about foundations. Someone who's going to live in a house for five years, 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, who doesn't care about the foundation is either very ignorant or very foolish, one or the other. But if you don't care about the foundation of the house you live in, if you think it's of no consequence, you really don't understand very basic things. You're someone who wants to ignore what is major and just be caught up daily with things that don't really matter. They're, they're non-essentials. But we're dealing with the most essential things. If you get this wrong, you've got everything wrong. Pack it, pack it all in. You're going to get everything wrong. If the foundation of your Christian life is wrong, your entire Christian walk for the next five years or 10 years or 20 years, however long, it's all going to be wrong. Anything else doesn't matter. You better make sure at the beginning of your walk with Christ, you lay down the right foundation because the church is filled with people doing things, doing right things, prophesying, casting out demons, listening to sermons, taking to the Lord's table, and their whole foundation's wrong. It's all going to crumble one day. They're going to perish. My message this morning, part three, a sealed foundation. Reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, speaking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. Then I want you to go down to verse 14 here. I wish I could preach in every verse of this chapter. It's powerful, it's profound. Verse 14, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrew the faith of some. And this is my scripture I'm going to deal with here this morning primarily. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stand sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Amen. Will you pray with me? Pray for yourself. Pray for those in this 
service here this morning. Father, we ask for your grace and your mercy. We realize, oh God, that the foundation of God, only that foundation, this one single foundation is going to stand through the hour of sorrows, of chaos, of confusion, nor God, of all the prophecies being fulfilled of this hour and generation. And finally, Lord God, to face the judgment, nor God, an hour, a day when we leave our bodies and stand in the presence of God, nor God, only those that have built their house upon this foundation are going to be found standing. And Lord God, we pray as a church that we might have a solid foundation that's grounded in the truth of God, that has the light of God shining from it. Lord God, we pray, oh God, that you expose every error, every heresy, every apostasy, every false teaching, every compromise. Lord God, that your word would shine as a bright light in this, this hour. And we ask that the truth of God would conquer every error. Father, raise up at people in this church who are grounded and founded on the truth of God, a foundation that's saturated in the written scriptures that your name might be glorified and that Jesus Christ would get all of the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read that verse again, chapter 2, verse 19 of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, and this is my text here this morning. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, a seal. This is it. He's about to tell you. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That is the seal. Those two statements are written on the seal. A seal on the foundation has something written on it. And these two statements are written upon it. What is a seal? Because for the past two weeks, we've been dealing with the foundation of a house, which represents what you build your Christian life on. You don't build a house without a foundation. That is foolish. And yet the foundation is not seen. It is the first thing that goes down. It's got to be in place before you build the house. The house is seen. That's where you live. That's what you do. That's where people go in and out of. The foundation, nobody visits. Once you start building the house, nobody generally looks at the foundation. It is unseen. Sadly, many who embark on the Christian life, didn't say become a genuine Christian, but they embark on it. They never laid a solid foundation. And you know, very sadly, they're going to build a house. And one day they're going to find out they never built on a foundation or the right foundation, but they'll have built an entire house, layer after layer after layer, room after room after room. Yet only when it's too late, they're going to find out there was no foundation but you know what? There's an hour when it's too late to find out your foundation was wrong. Most Christians pay attention to the rooms, the windows, the curtains, the door, the paint, the outside of the building, to entertaining people in there, to doing deeds within it, conversations around the table. I want to tell you, all those things are important, but they mean nothing if the foundation isn't right. And so we see here again in the Bible, 
Jesus, the apostles, they talk about foundations. It is so important. It is so important. But notice with me, and this is my message, a sealed foundation. This is something very unique about this verse, about the foundation of God that you're to build your life upon. Remember last week we said there was two men, one foolish, he built his house upon sand. One wise, he built his house on a rock. And when the storms came, the man who built his house on sand, it collapsed. The one who built his house on the rock, Jesus Christ, it stood through all of the storm. Storms are coming, the like of which you can't even imagine. If you didn't go to the Bible and read it, you could never believe it. You haven't seen anything in our world yet. You haven't even imagined what's coming. It is going to come so fast and hard, it'll make the past three years seem like nothing. COVID like nothing. Russia in uh, attacking Ukraine, nothing. The Gaza Strip attacking Israel, all of this will seem like nothing. And the Bible tells us about it very accurately. Are you prepared for this generation? You're going to live in this generation. You're going to live through the next one or two or five years if the Lord gives you grace to be here. Do you have a foundation that's going to withstand because you haven't seen the like of this storm that's going to hit? It's going to hit the church. It's going to hit our world. It's going to hit your community. Will you stand through that? Now, I want you to notice something about this foundation. I've got three points, but I want you to see something before we go there. There is a seal on this foundation. So you've got a foundation, and he's talking about those who build on this foundation. But notice what's on it, a seal. Now, what is a seal? Do you realize that buildings built in ancient Egypt, all the old cultures, even today, you know, Freemasons, when they build a building, they actually have a corner slab. They they are very particular what they do in that building and the name that goes under it. All over the city of Limerick, buildings were built, and in the foundation, they wrote on the foundation. Candace, my wife, she wrote on the foundation of the house. She made sure there was something good in there. You know what? With the foundation, you have a mark. What is a seal? Why put a seal on a foundation? The Greek word seal is very, very interesting. And this word seal, it means a thing of identification. So when you see the seal, you can identify who put the stone there, who owns the stone, and what is the mind behind that stone being there. The seal identifies the foundation or the person behind the building. The name of the person is often laid on the foundation. And we know name denotes character. The author of this stone being there. If you find the person, you'll know why the stone is put there. And so right in the foundation, you have a mark that reveals his character or identifies his personality. It is the architect's mark, the designer, the builder. It's right there in the foundation. There's some Christians you find, I can't find the mark of God there. I go back and look at their foundation. I go, where is the mark of God? Where is the seal of God? They have created a foundation that is faulty, that won't hold them, won't keep them. It is not God's foundation. 
They have deceived themselves saying, I've got foundation. But when I go there, there's a significant lack of this particular mark that we are going to speak about. In the Greek language, this word for seal in the Greek, it means three things. Listen carefully. First of all, this word seal, it means in the Greek language to be sealed in to protect you from misappropriation. I love these words, okay? I, I, they, these impacted me 30 years ago. I don't even need to read my notes. And so you're fenced in that seal, means that foundation, and whatever gets built on it is fenced in from misappropriation. What's misappropriation? It's someone meddling with it, fiddling with it, changing it. And so God says, when I put my seal on this foundation, it is a mark. You better not touch it. I am guarding this foundation. Anyone who builds on this foundation, I will guard them. I will protect them. I will stop anything being changed. Build on my foundation. I won't tolerate anything being changed. I am not going to allow you to change what the Christian life is meant to be or the house, how you build it. When you build on my foundation, I'll protect your life right to the end of your earthly journey. That's the first thing. So you see, the seal is a mark of protection. Second of all, it means to be stamped with a mark to show privacy. In other words, hands off. It's mine. This is talking about ownership. I own this foundation. I own those who stand on this foundation. You know, when I was growing up, I haven't seen it in years. You'd go to a field. We always walked through the countryside. We lived in the countryside. We went through fields and old houses. We knew everything in the whole region. And you know, you'd come to a field and you'd see a sign saying, keep out of this field. The odd time a farmer would write, bull, keep out. As soon as you read that, You'll take your head in your hands to, to go against that. I think some of the farmers, they didn't have a bull at all in there. They just put it up to keep kids like me out of their field. But do you know what? This seal, when you see it, it's a sign of hands off. Don't go there. It is a warning to say, this foundation belongs to me. I am the owner. So I not only protect, I am the owner. They belong to me. Devil, don't you dare touch them. They're mine. I redeemed them by the blood of Jesus. It means a third thing, this word seal. It means to be stamped with a mark or a proof of genuineness. In other words, that you're the real. There's the real foundation. So this word seal, why would God seal or put a seal on the foundation? He's saying, I'm going to protect you. You are mine, hands off this world, hands off devil, hands off anything else. I own them. They're building on my foundation. And also he's saying, this is real. What you're building on, check that there's a seal on your foundation. Has God put his stamp of approval? You're still wondering, how do we identify? Or what's these two statements? We're going to read it. And you know what? If your foundation lacks in these two statements, you better get concerned about this seal. Because if it doesn't contain these two, two statements lived out in your Christian life, then you're not genuine. 
You're not protected and you're not owned by God. And I, I tell you, in this hour, I want to make sure my foundation has the mark, the seal, the impression of God, that he himself has marked it and said, that's mine. I own this foundation. I put it here. I built it. No other foundation can any man lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. No other name brings salvation. In no other person is there love and forgiveness and kindness and grace and redemption on the day of judgment than in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got three points for you here that I want to take you to as we look at this foundation or this sealed foundation. What does it mean? Number one, a sealed foundation is a tested foundation. A sealed foundation is a tested foundation. And I want to promise you, if you're on the right foundation and it has the seal of God, guess what? Your foundation, not just the house, your very foundation is going to get tested by air, by temptation to sin, by people, disappointments, storms, your foundation will get tested. And we're going to find out, are you building on sand or upon a rock? Look at the context of this verse. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. You know, when God tells you something like this, your foundation's going to stand sure. It's like I'm saying, don't fear. You know, when God tells you don't fear, that means there's something you are going to fear. There's good reason to fear. That means when God says, don't fear what you're going into, that means, uh-oh, there's going to come so many problems, I'm going to naturally fear. That's why he's telling me not to fear. It's the same with this foundation. When he actually says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Why would he tell you that your foundation is going to stand, stand against everything if it's not going to be tested? Why do you think he's telling you this foundation, this foundation with this seal, nothing's going to move it. It's protected. It's real. It's genuine. It's eternal. Nothing can move it. You know why he's telling you that? Because at times you're going to go, I think my entire foundation's crumbling. I'm not sure I can stand through this trial, this trouble, this temptation. I'm not sure I can make it. Well, that's why I want you to know here, if you are built on the real foundation, you are going to be tested by the devil, by the world, by circumstance, even by God himself. Look at the context of this chapter. You have in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul is writing to Timothy. This is Paul's last letter. Paul is sitting in a prison. Paul is about to be martyred in the city of Rome for the faith. He spent years traveling, preaching, raising up churches, seeing people saved, seeing people delivered and healed, encouraging, praying for the churches. But here he is, he knows, I am about to just be offered. There's a crown awaiting me, I can almost see it. I'm about to depart this life. My race has been run. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I'm right at the end. I'm ready to go home to Jesus. 
And that's when Paul is writing this. Who's he writing to? Young Timothy. Look what he says in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, speaking to young Timothy, a young preacher, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's four spiritual generations. Paul's teaching Timothy. Timothy teaches faithful men, chosen men, and they go on to teach many others that Timothy and Paul will never see. You've got four generations. Paul is telling Timothy, keep preaching the word of God. Keep passing it on. You have a spiritual inheritance. Make sure that next generation hear the word of God. Teach them the word of God. Do you know who they are? These ones that Paul is mentioning here are those built on the foundation of God who have this seal on it. Do you know what it's marked by? Real preachers preaching the word of God, the truth of God from the Bible. That's what marks the whole building of this building on this foundation. When you find the real foundation of God, you've got real preachers, holy preachers, truth-based preachers. And that is marked where you get an absence of preachers. There's something terribly wrong amidst God's people. Preachers are ordained of God. And I want to tell you, they are part of the building process. You see, this is the fundamental thing I think that's mentioned here. In verse 1, we begin to read about Paul raising up Timothy and others and an entire people, the church of God, in a very dark hour. A very dark hour. A day of apostasy, compromise, and heresy. And he's saying, in the midst of this, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Why would Paul here be saying, don't worry, the foundation of God standeth sure? You know why? In this hour, it was under attack like no other hour. You see, Paul had seen revivals where thousands come to the Lord. He'd walked into cities where there wasn't one Christian and left behind churches that went throughout their entire country telling people about Jesus. But you know where Paul is now? He's in a prison cell. And you know, writing as he wrote this last letter to Timothy, I want to tell you, it was a very dark hour. Sin had encroached. And you know, the seal, this foundation stone was under attack. It was so under attack that Paul had to say to Timothy, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth. You know what I believe one of the primary things and the test of this foundation is, is heresy. The context of Paul talking about this foundation with its seal is heresy. You see, there's more mention in this one letter that Paul writes concerning false teachers and men who are troublemakers in the church than any one of his other letters. This letter is filled with it. It's his last letter. He's in a prison. And he's not just talking about Jesus and going home to heaven. He's actually detailing and giving you names, telling you about people, telling you of wrong teachings within the church that are attacking this foundation. And if you get affected by those things, you don't build on this foundation. You will destroy yourself eternally. 
And so we see in this chapter, the foundation was under attack. You know, in this letter, he goes through and he names names. It's a bit like David. Remember King David when he was on his deathbed? I wonder if any of you know about one of his last messages to Solomon. Not many Christians do. They don't even know that. David's lying on his deathbed. He can't get out of bed. And Solomon, who's now the king, he's going to reign, comes to him. His son, his beloved son, who's going to reign in his place. What does David start doing? Solomon, you listen to me carefully. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Kill him. Be careful of him. He goes through putting things right. I tolerated him. You don't tolerate him. That's quite a message for a man who has God's heart on his deathbed, isn't it? He's handing the kingdom over. He says, I'm out of here. I'm finished. But you better be careful. You know what Paul does to Timothy? I'm out of here. But you be careful of him. And you be careful of that teaching. Because you know what? It's all an attack on the genuine, real foundation. And you know all these people he names? They're in the church. They're teaching things about Jesus. They're taking scripture, but they're twisting it and bending it and moving it out of context. Don't try to teach the word of God when you don't know what you're saying. Give yourself about 10 years as a Christian and be very humble. Or you can make a lot of mistakes. Walk in the light of God's word. Look at the context in this entire letter. 2 Timothy chapter 1.15. Listen to what Paul writes. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phrygellus and Her Hermogenus. Notice here, Paul mentions two men. They must be instigators in Asia. Something happened in Asia, an entire region. And Paul says, here I am at the end. All those in Asia have turned away from me, not the church. They're still in the church. They're still meeting as Christians. But Paul, the great apostle, says something happened that they've turned away from me. Then he mentions two leaders. He gives their names. In other words, they must have been prime and important in this. He wasn't scared. You know, I get tired of ministries in the church that say, you're not meant to confront anyone. You just forgive everything. You don't mention anything. You just ignore all your enemies. You never respond. It's utterly unbiblical. I want to tell you, there's a biblical way for us to deal with heaven. If your brother sin against you or your sister, you get on the phone and tell 10 other people. No, you don't. You get on WhatsApp and start telling it. No, you don't. You know what the Bible says? You know what Jesus taught? Go to that person, you and them alone, and tell them their sin. Talking about a Christian, not sinners. Don't you do that with sinners. Don't treat sinners like Christians. You're trying to put them straight and everything. Hold on, they're not saved. They don't even know the love of Christ. Be very careful how you deal with people. But if someone's in the church and they've sinned against you, not stood in your pinky, they've actually committed a sin. Well, I don't like how they snore. I don't like how they sit in the meeting. I, I, I don't know, like this and that. I don't like how they sing. Don't, that's not sin. Go to your brother or sister if they have sinned actively against you. Try to be discreet. You point it out. These things are lost in the church. But look at these two men. They instigated a turning against the apostle Paul. 
In writing to Timothy, he mentions them. All of Asia has turned against me. These two men are priming it. And he's going to mention this man again in the context of this foundation shortly. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 20, he says, Of whom is Hymonius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Here's another two men. They had also been in the churches of Paul. And yet he says, they instigated something so bad, I had to deliver them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. They're men, leaders in the church. Listen what it says in verse before, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Do you know there's certain men and women in the church, they are shipwrecked spiritually, but they look like functioning Christians. They sit in meetings, they talk about the Bible, they try to persuade others. Spiritually, when I test them with the Bible, do you know what God says? They've made shipwreck of their faith. They do not have a good conscience. They're not living right. They want to be called Christians, but they're not right. You know what? They're like a broken up ship drifting on the water or submerged. They're a disaster, and yet they are in the church. You know how I test them? I test them with the Word of God. Then it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Or in chapter 4, verse 10, For Demoth has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. Do you see all of this going on in this letter? And Paul's saying, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth firm, solid, unmovable. That's why he had to talk about this foundation. You see, God allows the foundation to be attacked. He allows it to be tested. And you know what? It's very interesting in the church at times of revival, when everything is good, when lots of exciting things are happening. Look at the people who are there. Then watch the cold times where there's lots of false teachings and movements and compromise and worldliness comes into the church. And watch the people who move. Watch those who you cannot warn with the scripture. They do not listen. They repeatedly disobey the word of God. Do you know what? They're not building on a right foundation. They reveal themselves that they just move with all of the heresy and apostasy and the false teachers every time it comes. Look at the context of this about the foundation. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. And this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He's going to speak about the foundation. But look what he says here. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Be very careful about your conversations with other Christians among yourself. Be very careful. You know what Paul is warning Timothy about? About these vain babblings, bubbling forth. These men, they don't even know what they're talking about. In fact, have you ever been with that sort of person? They haven't got a clue what the Bible says, but they're constantly pouring forth about the Bible. They're ignorant. They're babbling. They're pouring forth. They don't know the Word of God. But you know what? You have to interrupt them to answer them and to speak. They won't even let you finish a sentence. Be very careful about this. You know what's happening there? Your foundation is being attacked. 
You need to be conscious of that sort of person. That is an attack on your foundation. It's going to the core. And it says, for this will increase unto more ungodliness. It doesn't edify. It doesn't help. It says, and their word will eat as does a canker. The word canker there, now watch this, their words, their teaching, their ideas will eat like a canker. Canker is gangrene. That's what he's saying. Spiritually, their words, their teachings will affect people who are in the church. And if you listen to them, if they get free way, they begin talking and their word becomes like gangrene. What does gangrene do? It begins to eat into the flesh. And that part of the body, it could be a toe, a foot, a leg, a hand, an arm. You're going to find that that member of the body stops functioning. Gangrene kills a member of the body. You could lose an entire limb through gangrene. Paul uses this as an example to say these false teachers who aren't based on the word of God, they've got all their ideas, all their thoughts and opinions, but it doesn't come out of a pure stream. Their words are many about the gospel, about religion, but their word will actually damage you. It is dangerous. Then notice what he says here in verse 17. Their word will eat as does a canker, canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. You see, we've already mentioned Hymenius, who was delivered to Satan. Hymenius, who had let go of his hold upon the faith. He no longer had a good conscience. Here's Paul warning of Hymenius again. And another man called Philetus and saying, here's two of these. Their words are damaging people in the body of Christ. And Paul gives them a real warning who concerning the truth have erred. Do you see that concerning the truth of God, they've erred. These men aren't building on the truth. They speak about Jesus. They claim to be born again. They talk about knowing God. They're actually saying they're in ministry, led of the Holy Spirit of God. This is all through the New Testament. There's warnings like this. And yet, do you know what? These men are dangerous. They have erred from the truth. They have missed the mark. They have swerved off from the solid foundation. Do you know what all this tells me? What I'm telling you in this first point, someone who departs from the pure stream of God's truth is not on this foundation. He may be a famous preacher saying, I have a solid foundation. If he is in error, if he swerves off, if he begins to teach things that are dangerous to a genuine Christian, you know what? His foundation is wrong. He has no seal on his foundation. That foundation will not stand in the judgment. And yet in Paul's day, it had come in throughout the church. Guess what today? It's all through the church of this generation. Things have got very cold. Everyone's got a different idea and opinion. People learn by YouTube and going on the internet. They are swayed by all these opinions. And yet these men, they've erred from the truth. Don't tell me your Christianity is real. Don't tell me your Jesus is real when it doesn't line up with this, this word of God. I can check your words, your practice, your faith, your Christianity by the word of God. Oh, well, I don't believe that. I wonder why. Oh, well, I think this. Oh, I'm sure you do. These were dangerous men. It actually gives an example of what they were teaching. 
here, here's the gangrene, here's the canker that ate into members of the body. Listen, he gives an example. Here, these two men are saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrew the faith of some. Not all. See, Paul's given a real warning. This foundation's getting tested. Everyone who says they're building on this, all these teachings are coming in. You know, these two men begin to say the resurrection's past. The bodily, physical resurrection of the saints, it's in the past. That's what they began to teach. It's already happened. You know what they're doing? They're misinterpreting the scripture. They're spiritualizing the promise of God. What God says future, they said has already happened. What he says will be visible and physical to every single eye. They put it in the past and make it invisible, personal, mystical. Do you see how dangerous it is to spiritualize truths that are meant to be taken literally? Here's two men that Paul had to deal with and Timothy was going to have to deal with and they are misinterpreting the scripture. They are teaching the scriptures. They are preaching the word of God. They say they believe the word of God. They say they are Christians. They say they're in the church. And yet their teachings, oh yes, they believe in the resurrection, but it's past. Oh, they believe in the resurrection, but it is spiritual. It happens invisibly. What's going to happen has already happened. There's some with Matthew 24 about the besiegement of Jerusalem. They say it was all finished in A.D. 70. Talking about the coming of Jesus, they said that happened in A.D. 70, that Jesus come in the clouds in glory. You know how dangerous that is? People say this is a viable teaching within the church. No, it's not. There's others who say, oh, if you believe in evolution, you can still be a Christian and believe in evolution. No, you can't. I doubt either you're a very young, confused Christian and will help you as you go along. But if you're a bit down the road, 10 years down the road and say, I believe in evolution. I believe we uh, um, come from monkeys, but I'm a born again Christian. I, I want to tell you, you're not saved. You're not on this foundation. You're in error. You've been deceived. You can't believe this book and believe evolution at the same time. Evolution is a created teaching by world powers to deceive the world's population. There's not even a question. I, I've, before a message, just taken you through the history of that. So what do you begin to see in here? It says, through this teaching, they overthrew the faith of some. In other words, those who had a pure faith, outwardly, what you could see, they seemed genuine. They seemed to be in the foundation. They seemed to be real. They're listening to us, Paul, Timothy, and others. But these guys come in with their gangrene teaching saying, no, 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 it's happened already. Do you know, you know, one of my friends back home, he always said, if a man's got air, he always has to teach it. You, you be around him. He, he cannot keep that to himself. He's got to spread it. He's got to promote it. He's got to share it. He can't just sit on it. And that's the thing. These guys, they've got to share it with the young believers. They've got to share it with other believers. Any inroads, they get a target and say, do you know the resurrection? It's already happened. We, we don't need to wait for the resurrection. It's already happened. You may say that's harmless. No, it overthrew the faith of some. You know to overthrow, it literally means to turn upside down. What does Paul say? Look again at verse 19 
our text about this foundation with its seal. What's the first word? Nevertheless. This is the context. Paul is talking about false teachers twisting scripture, changing the teaching of doctrines in the Bible. And you know what? He said, as these men come in with gangrene saying, we're Christians, we're teachers, we know the word of God. And they're twisting things. They're turning upside down the faith of some. They're destroying the faith of some. But Paul says, nevertheless, he is going to contrast this foundation with error, heresy, apostasy, false teachers, with those who are founded and grounded upon this wonderful foundation. Again, in in contrast to heretics, there are others who are built on this foundation, like Timothy. Timothy's built on this foundation. Those Timothy taught. There are many. There's churches. There's believers, young Christians. You know what? They're so different from those false teachers. They are building on the foundation of God, and it's got a seal, a mark of genuineness and privacy. What do they look like? They love the Word of God. They listen to the Word of God. They obey the Word of God. They hold fast to the Scripture. They're so simple to go, you know, wise men, intelligent men, and I know brilliant, intelligent men. Paul was an intelligent man. Some people think they're so wise, they know better than God. They know better than the Word of God. You need to be so careful. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, listen carefully. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, food, in the community of Corinth, out in the city, in the shops, food dedicated to idols or to false gods. Paul's going to talk through a whole chapter about this. Listen to what he says. Now, as touching things offered on idols, we know that we all have knowledge about those things. You know about it, so do I. You're you're not special because you know about Christmas, okay? And and the whole background, or Easter. Do you know Easter was actually Astroth? Oh, really? When did you find that out? Aren't you a bright spark? But listen to what it says. We all have knowledge. And here's the warning. Knowledge puffeth up. A charity edifice. Do you know that food is dedicated to idols? Yeah, and? Do you know what Paul says here? Knowledge isn't sufficient. Knowledge puffeth up can make you proud. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. That can make you proud. You're right in what you're saying, you're accurate. But pride, you could actually take truth, knowledge, and begin to say, I know things, and it makes you a proud person. You look down upon them. But listen to what he puts beside it. But charity edifieth. You see, knowledge about something can make you proud, thinking you know something. You're you're, you're not a brilliant expositor if you know Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. Do you know who doesn't know that? We all know that. But what are you going to do with that information? Love, charity, edifath. Knowledge could destroy someone. You could hinder Christians, sorry, sinners coming to the faith through knowledge. Love, edifath, builds up. See, this church could be pulled apart by stupid, silly disputes. And thank God that's not here in any degree, I believe. I I hope not. Hope it remains that way. But you know what? 
you could have knowledge over a thousand things and you could rip the whole place up. You could hurt people, tear people down. What's it accomplished? So you know some things. Great. Brilliant. Well done. But does your knowledge, do you edify people with that? Is so important. Number one is the foundation will be tested. I want to tell you, we live in a generation, the heresy, the compromise, the worldliness. Oh, but all of them are socially drinking. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Let me spend a little time with the Word of God with you. I can spend 10 minutes with you and show you that to take a glass of wine isn't just okay. But you need to spend 10 minutes with me. I don't tell you what to believe. You don't need to believe in. But I can persuade you. I can show you the Scripture. You'll actually have to disagree with the Bible by the time I'm finished in 10 minutes. And that's fine. But number two, listen, a sealed foundation is a sure foundation. It's tested. But this is the second thing, thank God. It's a sure foundation. It says again, verse 19, nevertheless, the foundation of God stand sure. Notice this foundation. It is tested. All hell comes against it. Very gifted heretics, apostates, teachers actually speak against this. But look, the, sta- the foundation stand sure. You can have all this swirling round. This foundation's going to stand through it all eternally. Don't you want to build on this foundation? The word sure here for stand assure, it means stable, unmovable, unaffected, unchanged. Is your foundation such a foundation? Oh, I know your faith could waver, your mind, your thoughts, your ideas. But what's your foundation like? Are you building on a solid foundation, heresy all around you, lies all around you, compromise, apostasy in the church? Something's gone wrong. Just like Paul's day, but a revival's coming. God's going to move again. God's going to restore again. Who are those who don't move in these dark hours? Those that are built on a solid foundation. You know what? I will be unmoved. You've watched me over the past year. You're watching a Christian unmoved, or am I? My whole world's in turmoil. Do you know what you see as a foundation that doesn't move? Hasn't been dented one bit. It's solid. It's kept me. I'm just on the right foundation. Sometimes I have to fall on it. But I'm telling you, when you're built on this foundation, you think that I'm standing so secure, straight, unmovable. Are you kidding? You know yourself. You know what you're like. I'm no different. I'm as weak as anyone. But I'll tell you what, this foundation works. It will keep you. You can have storms of heresy, false teaching, sin sweeping the church. Just stay on the foundation. Do you know what you're going to find? It's a stable foundation. See here, he says, the foundation of God standeth sure. The word standeth means to be established, covenanted. I love the Greek language. I don't know it, okay? But I know enough to research and, and, and look into it. But there's tenses in the Greek that you don't get in English. So when, if you have the ability of Greek, and I don't, I just learn these things. I go and look them up. But if you know this term, stand assure in the Greek, it is the perfect tense. In other words, what it means, it's a one-off act. It was laid once for all. When it says standeth, it doesn't mean it's got to keep standing. It standeth once for all. It is an act in the past. 
You know what that means? This foundation was laid. It was made to stand. It was established once by God in the past. We're not rebuilding this foundation again every time the devil attacks. There is only one foundation. It has never been destroyed. It stands through all of the ages, every century for two centuries. This foundation has stood uh, strong through it all. Nothing can move it. It is established forevermore, and this can never be changed. It's a one-off act. This foundation, it stands. It stands sure, and it will never have another testimony. Where do you want to build your house here this morning? Do you want to build on the shifting sands of heresies, of movements, of popular preachers? Do you want to stand on your own opinions and ideas about salvation about the blood, about the cross? Or do you want to stand on this solid foundation with the word of God keeping you there? It says in Proverbs 10, 25, as the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more. You know, a whirlwind comes, there's lots of things there. It passes, nothing's there, it's gone. That often happens in America. Listen to the other half of the verse, but the righteous is an everlasting foundation. If I find a real righteous believer, they're going to be here after the storm. They'll be here tomorrow. Look what's written on this seal. So he says, this is what the seal is on this stone, on this foundation stone, on this sure foundation that standeth, that's immovable. Let's look at it for a second, what it says. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his What makes this foundation so secure, so solid, so unmovable? Why is it a weak Christian like me can go through terrible trials and I'm unmoved? Be opposed on every side and I still preach the same gospel. Read all of the accounts of the apostates and I still know the truth of God. Unmoved by the lies of the enemy. How is that possible? Because the seal on this foundation, on the real foundation, listen carefully, this is it. The Lord knoweth them that are his. He's not talking about omniscience. You know what omniscience is? That means God knows all things in all generations, everywhere. He knows every heart. That's omniscience. This isn't that knowing. It says the Lord knoweth those that are his. This is different than omniscience. See, God omnisciently knows every sinner. But in this verse, he doesn't know sinners. Knowing is different than knowing information. What the Lord says here is, the Lord knoweth those that are his. Those that are real sheep, real Christians, real disciples, real followers of Christ. He actually says, I know them. This is the seal on the foundation. The real Christians, I actually know them. The word know was used of Adam and Eve. Adam knew Eve. It's a beautiful term for the physical sexual act. Adam knew Eve. It's beautiful. Do you know what the word know means? It's an intimacy. It's the most private, intimate, real, genuine act between two persons private, personal, between you and them. That's what what it was between Adam and Eve. He knew her. And so when it says here, the Lord knoweth them that are his, 
He's not talking about mere information, academic knowledge. He says there is an experience between me and them, which is very private, not generally with the church. Look at the seal on this foundation. God knows those that are his. He has an intimate relationship with them. You know, everyone who builds on this foundation, do you know how you know them? They have an intimate relationship with Jesus. They love him. He loves them. He reveals himself to them. They reveal themselves to him. Lord, I want to be transparent. I want an open heart. I want to be real. I love you. I'm going through a trial, but oh God, I love you. There's a revealing. You know what? This is intimacy. So on this foundation, the Lord really knows there is an intimate relationship of everyone who's on this foundation. Listen to what Jesus said from last week in Matthew 7, 23. Remember those who came knocking on the door saying, Master, Master, open to us. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Do you know what that means? I never at any time, that's what the word never means. I never knew you. Oh, did I lose it? No, I never knew you. Oh, maybe I fell by the way. I never knew you at the beginning. You are deceiving yourself, calling yourself a Christian. I never in any way or at any time ever knew you, had intimate, personal fellowship and communion with you. All you had was the outward Christian life, doing things, mimicking the Holy Spirit, proclaiming, claiming heaven. I never knew you. Can I ask, does God know you here this morning? Does he have an intimate knowledge? I know those that are mine because I have intimate fellowship and communion. There's something very, very special about that. That is the Christian life. Remember the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew 25, verse 11. Listen to what happens. Afterward came also the other virgins. This is people in the church. It's going to happen one day when Jesus comes, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. So when he says he knows those on this foundation, he's saying, You're not a foolish virgin. Neither are you those charismatic hypocrites who get moved by the Spirit, cast out demons, heal, but you don't live holy. He's making it very clear. I don't know them, but there's those that build on this foundation. I know them intimately. And this is the seal on this foundation. I know those that are mine. They are on this. No one is going to be moved who has an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known of mine, not just head knowledge. Then he says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How do you identify someone who God knows? Not omniscience, but God knows and says they are mine. God says it, not them, not others. Only God can know this. He says, these are my sheep. Well, how do you identify them? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. One of the marks of a sheep, I can identify a sheep. You bring the word of God to them. They go, okay, that's the word of God. That changes everything. Maybe they have another opinion, another idea. Then I bring the word of God to them. They go, oh boy, I didn't know that. Okay, well, you're just proving you're a sheep. The person who is in God's house, claims to be a Christian, 
They never, you can advise them every day of the week for the next seven years. They won't do it. They won't do it. You can bring the word of God and say, I start going, you're not a sheep. Because if you listen to his word, you would show God knows you. Not that you know God. My sheep hear my voice. Oh, that means he knows you. He knows you. And it's evidenced by the fact that you listen. And they follow me. If a sheep isn't following Christ, obeying him, then why not? How can they say God knows me, has this intimate, personal knowledge and communion with me, but I don't follow him and I don't listen to his words? It's a contradiction. That is not a sheep. That is a goat. That's someone who is uninterested in the shepherd. They don't listen to his voice. They don't follow him. Therefore, they're not a sheep. It says in Galatians 4 and 9, but now after that ye have known God or rather are known of God. Do you see that? Paul says, you know God, but really if you do know God, then that means you're known of God. That's the important thing. It's like people saying, I found God. I didn't know God was lost. So you find him. God wasn't lost. You're the lost one. You're the sinner. You're the sheep going astray. He finds you. The good shepherd goes looking for the sheep. You didn't find anybody. Oh, I'm going looking for the Lord. Actually, the Bible says, none seeketh after God. Those in the church who say, we can come by our own power. No, you can't. No, you can't. When you're seeking for the real God, for truth, that means God is at work. It's a supernatural work. It may not feel like that. The fact that you're here this morning is the grace of God. God is being very merciful unto you. But it says in Galatians 4, and are known of God, how then turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage, going under law, regulations, teachings about Jewish feasts, saying we need to do this, we need to do that. We're under the law. Don't you realize if you're known of God, if you know God, why would you be going back to this? There's something seriously wrong. But listen, one other thing here, very important. A sealed foundation is a sure foundation. It has this mark. I know you. I know you. You belong to me. That's what makes it so secure. I'm staying on this foundation. This foundation isn't going anywhere. If you build on this foundation, if you follow the word of God, there comes a knowledge where God says, I know you. More than that, I've always known you. Do you think we only come into a knowledge of one another one year ago when you said, Jesus is real, or five years ago, or whenever it was, and you go, guess what, everyone? And then you beat them up because they couldn't, they cannot see what you couldn't see a year ago. And you go, what's wrong with them? Have a bit of patience and sympathy, guys. Some of you guys have said that. You said it first, and then it took just time. It's the mercy of God. You think it all began at that point. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Do you know there's certain people God foreknows? He doesn't foreknow everybody. Like knowing everybody, he doesn't know everybody. He has the information about, but there's some, he says, I know them. In the New Testament, you see that God had foreknowledge of certain people before he even created the world. This word to foreknow, 
Everyone argues about predestination. Why would you argue about predestination? In my lifetime, I've heard of at least five preachers stood up in the pulpit and said, see that word predestination? I don't believe that. Well, it's written in your Bible, so you've immediately got a problem. Why not rephrase and say, I don't believe what some people say about it. That's okay to say. For, for a preacher, immediately he says, that, I go, this is an ignorant man. I don't believe in predestination. You've got to. It's in the Bible. Okay? And I don't want to get off into that. But everyone wants to argue over predestination. There's something before predestination. It's foreknowledge. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. And why are you arguing about predestination? That means there's a plan before creation, before the world, concerning certain people, what, to make them like Jesus. What, you're opposed to predestination, that God has predestined. He has pre-planned. He has a plan of a final destiny to make you like Jesus. That's predestination. What's your problem with predestination? But before that is foreknowledge, whom he foreknew, he predestined. See this word knowledge again. That means before creation, before time, before the earth was here, before Adam and Eve were in the garden. God in his eternal covenant and counsels looked down through time and said, there's some, not all, I foreknow, I foreknew. Do you know what that means? Before time, he had intimate personal experience, experiential knowledge of those built on this foundation. I know you. I've got a seal on this foundation. You're mine. You belong to me. And you know what? That knowledge of that, I could keep you here all day. I need to be careful, very, very careful. I've got another meeting to go to and preach here. And I'm halfway through my second point. Listen very carefully here. This, this is extremely important to understand this foreknowledge that God in eternity past had intimate personal knowledge of people who didn't even exist as yet, that hadn't even sinned yet. Yet God looked down through the corridors of time and said, I know them. You know, after you really get born again, I mean you meet Christ and you think, I found him. I sought this. Nobody else worked this out. I found the real Christ. This is wonderful. And it all began on this day. Last week, last year, 10 years ago. And this is glorious. Do you know, if you study the word of God, you begin to find out this goes right back into eternity. Do you realize how secure you are on this foundation? Saints of God, I'm the first, and I've taught many times, the possibility of falling from grace, the warnings of Scripture. But here, let's not preach eternal insecurity. That's error. That's heresy as well. There has to be a security in Christ. There has to be a foundation. I preach and warn everyone constantly the warnings of departing. But let's not overdo this. Let's go to the scripture. There's this teaching of God's foreknowledge of me. He knew me before time. He talked to the Father about me. Do you realize that if you're born again here? First time I realized this, it blew my brain. I was a kid. And, and to think, I looked up at the stars and went, he knew me in eternity past. He talked to the Father about me. They actually covenanted and talked and planned concerning me. I wasn't even created yet. I wasn't e even born yet. I, was, I hadn't even believed yet. Saints of God, when you get born again, you need to begin understand. What does the apostle say? It says, make your calling 
an election, sure. After you make your calling to Christ, to follow him, sure. As, as soon as you know, I'm born again, I'm saved, I've responded to the call of God. After that, you go on and make your divine election, sure. You come to learn God chose you in eternity past. Don't get into arguments over that and say, but that's not fair. How does this work out? What about this? If the Bible teaches it, it's truth. Listen to what it says in John chapter 17. It's Christ praying to the Father about people who believe, including you. You are in John chapter 17. You weren't there 2,000 years ago. You're not alive. And yet, when you read John 17, he's talking about all those who will believe the truth. Through all the preachers, down through the generations, they're going to believe in the future. And Christ prays for them. Every genuine believer, he prays for in that prayer. Listen quickly. It says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. Do you see that? God the Father gave Jesus certain ones whom he foreknew. He says, I know them. You weren't even born yet. This includes you. Do you know the Father gave you to the Son? It wasn't yesterday. It wasn't last year when you got born again. This is way back. Jesus is praying this 2,000 years ago about what happened in eternity. What's he saying? Father, I have kept all those that you gave me. Then he says, I've kept them and none of them is lost. Not one. Not one the Father gave to the Son is lost. Not one single one of them. But the Son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. In John 17, in this prayer, we read seven times Jesus mentions that the Father gave him certain people to keep or to protect. That means to grant, to commit, to entrust, to hand over for you to care for. And it says none of them are lost. That means eternal loss, damnation, hell, eternal punishment, rejection. Jesus said, I kept them. That's a military term. It means to keep by guarding, to keep under guard, to garrison, to surround them, to hem them in. This is a remarkable thing, but practically, how does God keep you? Because it's practical. Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You know that, don't you? But listen to what else it says. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Don't try to nullify scriptures. When we preach about someone falling from the faith, I don't try to build all sorts of opinions. I preach that as truth. But when you get a scripture like this that says, they'll never perish, don't you dare change that. You don't have the right to do that. Do you hear me? With the word of God, just believe it all. When it, when it warns you about falling away from the faith, just take that warning. Tremble in your shoes. But there is security on this foundation. Those who I know, they're secure. 
I will keep them. Do you think you're keeping yourself? Jesus shows us how this works out. In John chapter 18, 7, Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered and said, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. Notice carefully what's happening. This is when Christ is about to get betrayed, taken, imprisoned, and crucified. He's going to die. And the soldiers come. What does he actually say here? I'm he. This is the man you're looking for. But let these go. Do you see what he's doing here? Let these ten, because Judas has betrayed him, so it's only ten. He said, let these ten go. I'm the one you're looking for. You're not looking for them. You're looking for me. Here I am. And they let the ten go. Listen to the next verse. It's very important. The very next verse, verse 9. That the saying might be fulfilled which was spake. Of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. I haven't lost any. What does that mean? Do you realize at that point to be taken? Do you remember what happened? When they got away, they ran. Peter denies them three times. Thomas doubts them. They all scatter apart from young John. It was devastating. It's an hour of darkness. These are genuine believers and they're utterly devastated. They're in fear. They're locking their doors. They're hiding. They're denying the Christ. Do you know what Christ done? I actually believe at this time, if they would have been taken and threatened with martyrdom, with crucifixion, it would have been too much for them. They couldn't have handled it. They're only saved three years. They're only born again three years. They're only beginning in this journey to face martyrdom, a martyr's crime. So Christ saved them and protected them. You know why? That was a trial too much for them at that point. So he protects them. But give it 30 years, all of them are going to face martyrdom. Thomas is going to face it and Peter's going to face it. Peter says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my master. Turn the cross upside down. Thomas was killed in India. They killed him for taking the gospel to India. This is remarkable what you have here is those built on this rock. You know what? If you're not able to withstand a trial, he's going to say, protect them, keep them, guard them. And then a bit down the road, he'll say, okay, Lord, now let the devil come against them or test them. You know why? They're ready for it. You're kept. You're kept by the real power of God. Third and finally, I'm not going to preach at all, but I'm going to mention it. My third point, a sealed foundation is a sanctifying foundation. One half of this seal is the Lord knoweth them that are his. The other half of it is, what does it say at the end of verse 19? Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is the two sides of this seal. I'm known by God. I'm kept by God. Okay, great. But if you don't depart from iniquity, you're lying. Don't tell me God foreknew you and he's keeping you and he's guarding you and he's hedging you around. 
and you're building on the foundation, if you do not depart from iniquity. When I see a, someone claiming to be a Christian, look what it says. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, they are professing, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I believe in Jesus. Great. Then prove it. Depart from iniquity. You're claiming it. Then this is going to be the mark of your life. How do I tell people? How do I identify them who are building on this foundation? This foundation that has a seal that says they're secure. They're protected. They're genuine. They're real. They depart from iniquity. That word depart is the Greek word apostemio. It's the word used elsewhere for a apostasy or rebellion against the truth of God. It's used for apostasy from the truth. But you know here it's talking about a real Christian. You can tell those building on this foundation with this seal. You know why? They actually react to iniquity. This is what the Greek word means. Separation from to remove yourself from, withdraw yourself, revolt against. It means an uprising, sudden, immediate. It's actually a military call. This depart from iniquity is a military term. Violent, immediate, total, absolute. Do you know how you identify the sheep and those on the solid foundation of God? They depart from iniquity. Oh, I'm born again. I'm still sleeping with my girlfriend. Still get drunk. Still blaspheme. Still swear. Someone said to me, oh, you know, you kick your foot and just something slips out. I actually don't understand that. If you curse and then you go, oh, Lord, forgive me. I understand. It's a process of sanctification. I understand it. But I don't do that. Please don't test me. But you could test me. Drop something on my foot. I promise you, something's not going to slip out of my mouth. It's, it's not even there. But I'm, I want to tell you, the mark of a real sheep, they depart from iniquity. The word iniquity literally means to be wicked, unrighteous or against what is just or right. That's what iniquity is. It's a moral act against the law of God. It is you by actions disobeying God's clear command in the scriptures. It is someone disobeying who thinks that they will escape the justice of God. I looked this up. Listen very carefully. I love this. I have to finish with this. The word iniquity in the Greek is a dikio. Adikia, Adikia. So I looked up Adikia. Wikipedia helped me. May not be totally reliable, but in history it is often. What's Adikia? This word for iniquity. You can look it up when you go home. Adikia was one of the ancient Greek gods. A woman, a hideous woman, a barbaric woman covered from head to toe and tattoos. And when you see her in Greek mythology, this is iniquity. This is a picture in Greek culture of what she looks like. This is what iniquity, you say, that's horrible, that's gross, yes. You as a Christian are meant to react, have a rebellion against this woman. You know who she is? She's a lover of iniquity. Joyce Meyer getting her tattoo. 
don't speak to me about it. These drunkard pulpiteers, these immoral men. Oh, oh, a preacher sins unfaithful to his wife, commits adultery, unfaithful to her, devastates her. First thing you hear Christians say, oh, but he can come back in the ministry. He hasn't even repented yet. Hasn't even repented, hasn't even begun. Oh, make sure you protect the guilty one. That's what we do as a church, isn't it? No, it's not. No, it's not. You're unfaithful to your wife. You'll never preach in this pulpit. You don't deserve to. And so we see that this Adikia, in Greek mythology, she's always got another goddess with her called Dyke, the goddess of justice, who is pulling her by her hair with a big rod hitting her constantly, justice being meted out. So what's Adikia iniquity? I know it's a gross picture. It's Greek culture, not the Bible. But it gives you a feel. How do I explain otherwise to you what iniquity is? Disobedience to God's word. Careless attitudes. I don't care what it says. I'll be fine. God loves me. I'm under grace. I disobey the word of God. I don't even try to work on the word of God. I don't listen to the advice of God's word. But you know what? I'm saved. I'm under grace. Do you know what you look like? You look like the goddess Adikia. All your tattoos, you're vile, you're blasphemous, and you're claiming to be under the grace of God. Utterly impossible. Utterly impossible. Can a real Christian sin? Yes, King David did. And he wrote a psalm out of it, heartbroken. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Saints of God, I'm going to tell you that this foundation... This, this seal foundation is a tested foundation. It's a sure and secure foundation. You build your life in this. You're secure. What Brother Clinton always say about those washed in the blood are as safe as a man who's in heaven with the door locked. Please don't undermine the teaching of our security in Christ because you're trying to prove that someone can fall away from the faith. And someone can fall away from their faith and they can depart from the right way and enjoy the blessings of God. But let's not deny the truth of this, that there's a security, a safety for the sheep of God to say, he knows me and he's never lost one sheep, not once in 2,000 years. And you know what? If you, won't, if you don't like that teaching, you're going to have to throw your Bible out because it's intrinsic there. But it's a foundation it's a sanctified foundation where we have a mighty rebellion against iniquity. God help you, I hope you never forget the picture of Adikia. If you want to enjoy iniquity but build on this foundation, I hope it comes up in your mind is the tattooed Adikia goddess. Justice is going to be meted out to her. She's vile but she's trying to say that she's right. Please stand with me. Father, we love you. We bless you this morning. Lord God, we know that we're dealing with foundations. We're dealing with beautiful things. 
Lord God, that I can read in this book that you knew me from before the foundation of the world, that you chose me before the foundation of the world, that you foreknew me, that you predestinated, you had a plan to make me like the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, what an inheritance. Those that build on this solid foundation, not only forgiven, not only washed from their sin, not only picked up out of the rubble and the ruin of this world, but they begin on that foundation stone to realize that there's been an eternal plan, that they were known intimately in a very unique and special way by the creator, the God of heaven from before the foundation of the world. And Lord God, we do ask, oh God, save souls, oh God, in this hour. It's not your desire that any man perish, but that all repent and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray that hearts would be melted by your loving kindness and built up as the house of God in Jesus' name. Amen.